Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, August 19th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. Chaos in Afghanistan. President Biden says he's committed to keeping U.S. troops in that country until every American is evacuated, even past his deadline. Plus, a third vaccine dose for all Americans is coming. The Biden administration announcing a plan to offer booster shots beginning in late September as part of an effort to crack down on rising COVID-19 cases. And some good news today. The number of Americans seeking unemployment last week falling to a pandemic low, a sign of a rebounding economy. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with a developing story in the nation's capital. Police investigating a report of a possible explosive device in a pickup truck outside the Library of Congress on Capitol Hill. They have evacuated the area around the building. Authorities are reportedly speaking to a man in a truck who claims to have a detonator or explosives, according to the Associated Press. Law enforcement officials said investigators were at the scene in working to determine whether the device was an explosive or not. We'll be tracking this story and we'll bring more details to you as they develop. Now let's go to another major story today, chaos in Afghanistan. The Biden administration is standing firm on its deadline to remove all troops from that country by the end of the month. That allows less than two weeks to evacuate tens of thousands of people trying to get out of the country after the Taliban took Kabul over the weekend. In an interview on Wednesday, President Joe Biden suggested U.S. forces would remain in place until all American citizens who want to leave that country make it out. But this is what Pentagon Secretary John Kirby said this morning. Our focus right now, there has been no decision to change the deadline. And we are focused on doing everything we can inside that deadline to move as many people out as possible. Um, and if and when there's a decision to change that, uh, then obviously that would require additional conversations uh, with the Taliban uh, as well. But I don't believe that those conversations have happened at this point. Now, in addition to Americans in Afghanistan, there are up to 65,000 Afghan nationals and their families who worked with the U.S. during the war desperate to get out. The State Department and the military say they cannot guarantee the safe passage to the airport while people are still trying to get through Taliban checkpoints. Andrea Linares has been following the story and has more on this dangerous situation on the ground. Anguish and agony as 15,000 Americans and many more Afghans try to escape Kabul. While U.S. officials say inside of the airport it's secure, just outside the gates is a completely different picture. Babies and children can be seen being passed toward the gate in an effort to get them out of the country as the Taliban assumes power there. The situation extremely tense. Reports of more than a dozen injured at the airport, the Taliban beating the crowds, fighters firing shots in the air to disperse people. Since the start of evacuation operations on August 14th, we have airlifted approximately 7,000 
total evacuees. But some flights are still leaving half empty. Many people simply can't get to the airport because it's unsafe. These new images from the U.S. government showing the evacuations, including this photo of an Afghan child kept warm by a U.S. airman's uniform. I don't have the capability to go out and, and extend operations currently into, uh, into uh, Kabul. And questions still remain about how the country fell so quickly. There was nothing that I or anyone else saw that indicated a collapse of this army and this government in 11 days. The Taliban has said they will not engage in retribution against former Afghan administration figures, but fighters from the group have been going door to door in Kabul since seizing the city on Sunday. The Taliban also assured women's rights would be protected. However, on the ground, the evidence is the opposite. This female news anchor blocked from going to work. Meanwhile, in Washington, Democrats are dealing with political fallout. They warned the Biden administration months ago could become a fiasco on the world stage. President Biden had set a deadline of August 31st to get an estimated 10,000 U.S. citizens in Afghanistan to safety. Pressed during an exclusive interview with ABC News on Wednesday, he suggested that the deadline might be extended. So Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops if, will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if, there are American force, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. There's growing concern for people that are being left behind in other provinces, such as Herat, Paktika, Paktia, and Kandahar. Right now, the focus has been in Kabul because that's where the press is located. But many fear that once the cameras are gone, we may be left in the dark as to what's happening to the most vulnerable population there. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And now Democrats in Congress are setting up a series of hearings on America's removal from Afghanistan and the Taliban's rapid takeover of the country. It comes amid rising anger about the Biden administration's handling of that removal. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the Foreign Affairs Committee will hold a hearing early next week. And Secretary of State Tony Blinken and, the, and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin have been invited to testify and attend. Senate Democrats are expected to hold hearings when they return from the August recess. And the Treasury Department is taking steps to block the Taliban from nearly half a billion dollars. Over a dozen GOP leaders reached out to the Treasury Secretary, expressing concern over how the International Monetary Fund was scheduled to send the funds to, quote, a regime with a history of supporting terrorist organizations against the United States and her allies. Republicans are calling on the secretary to step in. However, the U.S. cannot block the transfer of the funds. It would have to go through a vote by the IMF member countries. And staying on the crisis in Afghanistan, now Mexican officials are confirming that they're now processing the first asylum request from people escaping the Taliban. Ingrid Rojas has all the details. The desperation of Afghan citizens, mainly women and children, has reached the Mexican embassy in Iran. This embassy serves five countries in the region, including Afghanistan. Several asylum and refugee requests from people who fear persecution under the Taliban regime are already being processed. 
We have to verify that they are people who are suffering for whatever reasons, political, ideological persecution of all kinds, and that, of course, their lives are at risk. Mexican Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard confirmed via Twitter that he is working on this matter with Ambassador Guillermo Puente. We have begun processing the first requests for refuge from Afghan citizens, especially from women and girls who have requested it. According to the embassy's survey, there is fear among the population that the Taliban will implement extreme practices that attack women and people to their ideology. We already have several requests received at the embassy. Our obligation is to send them to Mexico so that all the authorities concerned can evaluate them in what way we can or cannot help. A few days ago, Mexico expressed its position before the UN Security Council condemning violence and its concern about increased attacks against women as well as various restrictions and censorship under Taliban rule. From what I have gathered in all my conversations, in their objectives, at least is the same Taliban of 20 years ago. Reported by Alejandro Madrigal in Mexico City, this is Ingrid Rojas for U News. And now to the coronavirus emergency, the Biden administration announcing a long-anticipated plan for booster shots. The president said the shots are to be administered eight months after the second dose. Now, during an exclusive interview with ABC News, he had more to say. Grecia Lastra has all the details. This morning, the Biden administration telling vaccinated Americans who received the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine to start planning for a third dose. Eight months after your second shot, get a booster shot. It will make you safer and for longer and it will help us end the pandemic faster. Health officials citing recent data showing the vaccine's protection against COVID slowly decreasing over time, leaving many more at risk for severe illness. George Stephanopoulos sitting down with the president just hours after the announcement asking if he and his wife had received a booster yet. We're going to get the booster shots. And uh, it's something that I think, uh, you know, because we, we got our shots all the way back in, I think, December. So it's, it's, it's past time. The booster shots will be available for free with no insurance or ID required. The program rolling out the week of September 20th. A program already protecting many of the immunocompromised, like 28-year-old Christine Smith. The CDC and FDA recommended it on Friday, and I went and got my booster on Sunday. We went inside Baton Rouge General Medical Center, where they're treating nearly 200 infected patients, more than any other time in the pandemic, and more than 90% of them are unvaccinated. We want to take everybody that we possibly can and do everything we can for people, uh, but we, we don't have the means for it. 39-year-old disaster relief worker Jessica Cooper is fighting back from the virus, at one point even typing a goodbye text to her 11-year-old daughter, thinking she wouldn't survive. If I don't make it, just know that you will always be surrounded by love and mommy will always be here with you. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. 
And a new study says protection against the Delta variant from the Pfizer and AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccines starts to decline within 90 days after getting the second dose. Researchers noted that two doses of either vaccine still gave at least the same level of protection as after getting a natural coronavirus infection. The study has not yet undergone peer review before publication in a scientific journal. And nursing homes that want to keep their federal funding will have to make sure their staff is vaccinated against the coronavirus. The White House says the Department of Health and Human Services will draw up new regulations that require staff at all nursing homes receiving Medicare and Medicare funds to get the COVID vaccine. If they don't, the facility could lose funding. This is the first time President Biden has threatened to withhold federal funds over vaccinations. And as the COVID surge worsens in children, head back to school. Arguments over wearing a mask are turning violent. Azul Alvarez explains. The heated debate over masks is escalating into physical altercations in various states across the nation. In Texas, a parent ripping a teacher's face mask during a Meet the Teacher event Monday, according to Ames School District Superintendent Tom Leonard. Let's just leave the mask wars out of the schools. In a letter to parents and staff, Leonard calling it a physical assault on a teacher by a parent. So you want to fight those wars, fight them somewhere else, but don't mess with the teachers. They have a hard enough job right now. In Northern California, an elementary school teacher was hospitalized last week after a parent attacked him during a verbal argument over face masks, according to a district official. It was originally between the parent and the principal, and the teacher intervened at that point, a female principal intervene to say, hey, it's time, it's time to go, like you stop. The teacher was stitched up for cuts and lacerations to his face. Police responded to the scene and are investigating. The parent was not arrested. The superintendent there sending a letter to parents saying assaulting a staff member will never be tolerated on any school campus. At this protest outside the Los Angeles City Hall, where dozens of demonstrators waved signs opposing COVID-19 mitigation efforts, it was a news reporter who fell victim. This video capturing his hat getting knocked off and his glasses ripped from his head and his glasses ripped from his head while he tried to do an interview, according to his Twitter post. Just exploded pretty quickly, and unfortunately, this is a pattern we've seen at a few other protests around LA. Detention and misinformation flowing into county board meetings like this one in San Diego. Your children and your children's children will be subjugated. They will be asked, how many vaccines have you had? Have you been a good little Nazi? Hey, Fauci! and into school boardrooms in Florida, too. We also had the bird flu. The debate today in Miami-Dade stretching out for hours. Now you know what is better for our children, better than the parents and the mothers who have to give birth to those children. At the same time, this in Hillsborough County in the Tampa area. We are surrendering our children to a pandemic of sincere ignorance, and conscientious stupidity. This Louisiana State Board of Elementary and Secondary Education meeting was adjourned after a raucous crowd refused to put on masks. In Tennessee last week, the chaos started inside a school boardroom. 
and then spilled into the street. With crowds heckling and threatening officials leaving the meeting after they approved a temporary mask mandate. Sheriff deputies having to intervene to help officials leave the premises. Parents shouldn't feel threatened for their lives walking into a parking lot. That is not the America I know. As the unrest over masks grows, educators warn children are watching and learning. Azul Alvarez, U News. Thank you, Azul, for that report. And now Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who has been criticized for opposing mass mandates in vaccine passports, is now touting a COVID-19 antibody treatment in which the company of a top donor has invested millions of dollars. DeSantis has been flying around the state promoting a monoclonal antibody treatment sold by the company Regeneron, which was used on then-President Donald Trump after he tested positive for COVID-19. A Chicago-based hedge fund has $15.9 million in shares of Regeneron Pharmaceutical INC. According to filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, their CEO, Ken Griffin, has donated $10.75 million to a political committee that supports DeSantis, $5.75 million in 2018, and $5 million just last April. And talking about money, first-time filings for unemployment insurance hit a pandemic-era low last week, a sign that the jobs market is improving heading into the fall. The Labor Department reported today that jobless claims fell to 348,000. The number of first-time jobless claims has coincided with the widespread administering of vaccine which has led businesses to reopen or expand their hours and draw customers back to shops, restaurants, airports, and entertainment venues. And officials in Republican states continue questioning the integrity of the 2020 elections, even though multiple audits have not found proof of any irregularities. On Wednesday, Georgia's election board appointed a review panel to investigate election officials in Fulton County. Fulton County is heavily Democratic and contains most of the city of Atlanta. A controversial new election law in Georgia gave the state's board authority to review local election officials. Now, activists worry that could lead to a partisan takeover of election operations in a Democratic region of the battleground state. And Hurricane Grace may landfall as a Category 1 storm just south of Tulum, Mexico at around 5.45 a.m. this morning, carrying maximum sustained winds of 80 miles per hour. National Hurricane Center warned that hurricane conditions and a dangerous storm surge were expected along the eastern Yucatan Peninsula, and heavy rainfall over northern Yucatan and Veracruz states will likely produce flash and urban flooding as grays move west. And in the U.S., from coast to coast, people are facing extreme weather. And Genesis Vieira explains, as she explains, there is more to come. Fire in the west, flooding in the east, a record-breaking summer with more than a month still left. There are 104 large fires burning across the country, mostly in the west where drought conditions continue to fuel the raging wildfires. 
Firefighters call the Northern California Calder Fire unprecedented after it nearly doubled in size Tuesday night. Thousands have been evacuated from their homes. Many have lost their homes altogether. I don't know. Right now, I just feel like giving up. And the Dixie Fire is still burning, too. It's torn through more than 660,000 acres, and still, containment remains stagnant. On the East Coast, flooding after Tropical Depression Fred, from Georgia to North Carolina. And it happened so fast, the next thing I know is it's coming in for the floorboard. Tearing apart homes. And now the fear it's done the same to families. Dozens of people are still unaccounted for. We have been searching abandoned vehicles, homes, buildings for survivors. And we'll continue to search. And now it looks like the Northeast could be in for heavy rain and wind too. Some forecast models show Tropical Storm Henry headed that way, potentially reaching hurricane strength as early as the end of the day. Genesis Vieira for U News. And potential harm to polar bears. That's the reason a federal judge said he wouldn't approve a multi-billion dollar oil project planned for Alaska. The Phillips willow project in a federal oil reserve had been backed by both the Biden and the Trump administrations and comes with wild support from the Alaskan political leaders. But the judge said the government didn't properly assess, assess the project's climate impact on climate change, like the greenhouse gases that would come from burning the oil and its potential harm to polar bears in Alaska. Now, the governor said the decision puts thousands of potential jobs at risk. And there's good news for immigrants arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border to request asylum. The federal government issued new rules that streamline the process, allowing for the faster processing of applications. Jorge Hernandez has all the details. Happy. Happy that we're going to have a new life. For Jose Alfredo and his family, it is a great accomplishment to travel to Maryland while continuing their asylum application process after crossing the border. The Departments of Justice and Homeland Security released a proposed asylum amendment to speed up the process. Andrew Sell, president of the Immigration Policy Institute, says his organization helped the government design the change. If someone wants to apply for asylum, they do a first hearing, a first interview with the person who explained his or her situation. And if the case proceeds, then they're going to be referred to asylum officers, probably where they're living. The government established a 60-day period for civil society organizations, local governments and officials to ask questions and comments on the plan. The government will deploy asylum officers to border patrol processing centers and those who do not qualify for asylum will be deported immediately. Lawyers say the rule would reduce the cost and time it takes to process asylum seekers in immigration courts. It is more efficient and the person can be granted an immigration status that he or she deserves in a more expeditious manner. What country are you from? From Guatemala. How does it feel to be here? Happy. This is going to start again the process of allowing people to come in, ask for humanitarian protection at the border, and if their case proceeds, then they will have their hearing within a few months, not years. The government told Univision that the public comment period ends on October 19th and the rule will seek to implement a more orderly, fair and humane immigration system at the border. Reported by Pedro Rojas in Peñitas, Texas, this is Jorge Hernandez, U News.
Meanwhile, hundreds of Central American migrants continue embarking on the difficult journey into the U.S. border, seeking to request asylum. Ana de Mendoza has more details. In what seemed like an endless journey, this Honduran migrant walked along the Mexican highway near the Guatemalan border, carrying a newborn baby in her arms. How old is your baby? 40 days old. Maria Guadalupe Argueta and this small group of Central American migrants had been walking for more than 24 hours since they crossed the border from Guatemala into Mexico and had barely traveled 30 miles. We have been walking from Guatemala. We started yesterday morning. We haven't eaten anything. This group wants to get into the United States, but Maria was having a hard time carrying her baby. I stopped because my baby turned purple and a lady helped me there. She was still convalescing from the cesarean section she had to undergo so that little angel Alexander could be born. With the baby, how do you risk it? The situation. The morning was humid and the scenery was spectacular. But the fatigue they were feeling was unbearable. Johnny Jiminson, Maria's cousin, could barely walk. I feel like fire, brother, like fire. I don't even feel the pavement. His companions were also very exhausted. They didn't even care if they were stopped by Mexican immigration officers. We have been stopped several times by immigration, but they did not pick us up. Do you know that they are deporting many people from the United States? Yes, we are aware, but with God's will. When we said goodbye, they were about 15 miles away from arriving at the shelter in Mexico, where they would rest before resuming their journey. But we never heard from them again. Reported by Pedro Ultreras on the Mexico-Guatemala border. Ana de Mendoza, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. That would essentially put an end to the longest war in U.S. history. This is the interior of a stash house that we found in this right along today. State authorities recommend avoiding them at night. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. And you're looking at video captured with a drone. It shows the devastation in Haiti. Unfortunately, it is only a fraction of the damage caused by the 7.2 magnitude earthquake and the storm Grace. More than 1,900 people are now confirmed dead. Almost 10,000 more are hurt, leaving hospitals overwhelmed with patients who urgently need help. Search and rescue efforts are hindered by a lack of resources and heavy rains in that area. Haiti's director of civil protection said Wednesday that at least 75,000 homes were damaged or destroyed by tremors. More than 135,000 families have been affected by this tragedy. Now in Mexico, millions of students have dropped out of schools because of the pandemic. Now experts say it would take years to address the education lack. Paulina Gomez has more details from Mexico City.
millions of students in Mexico gave up and dropped out of school due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I couldn't, I didn't want to be online. I used to be online and was working hard, but I left it. 13-year-old Jan Tu abandoned her last year of elementary school to take care of her grandmother, who was sick from COVID, and she eventually got it too. I can't force her into going. I told her, look, child, there are other alternatives. You repeat the year and it's fine. Nothing will happen. But right now, our health is the most important. Like Jan Tu, during the pandemic, more than 5 million children drop out of school, according to the National Institute of Statistics and Geography mainly for reasons linked to COVID or a lack of economic resources. Experts believe that the lack of in-person school could have contributed to the increase in domestic violence, child killings and teen pregnancy. And despite the surge of COVID cases during the pandemic's third wave in Mexico, President López Obrador insisted on going back to school, not only to battle academic lack, but for children's well-being, suggesting it is worth it to take the risk. Necesitamos. We need our children to no longer be locked down playing Nintendo. Most of the children and teenagers are being affected by this situation. Education authorities say the school year will start on August 30th and that they will be responsible and use different health protocols, though it will not be mandatory as homeschool will also continue. Paulina Gomez Bulchiner in Mexico City, Unions. Now in New Zealand. 21 COVID cases were reported today, according to health authorities. The outbreak has been linked to a person returning from Australia. The new cases, though still relatively small in numbers, have caused significant concerns for New Zealand authorities, which has struggled to get its population vaccinated. Just over 20% of its 5 million population have been inoculated against COVID-19 so far. And the Germany daily COVID-19 infections recorded a sharp increase as more than 8,000 new cases were registered within one day. The last time that new infections within 24 hours exceeded 8,000 was during the third wave in mid-May. Germany has spent this summer relatively unscattered by a fourth wave driven by the Delta variant, especially compared to neighboring France. Now let's go to Cuba, where officials are cracking down on internet speech following weeks of anti-government protests. Officials announced new rules against people using social media to provoke protests or even insult the state. Gianni Aponte has all the details. The so-called Decree Number 35 establishes that users of any telecommunication service in Cuba, including the Internet, must prevent their services from being used to undermine the security and internal order of the country, transmit false reports or news as a means to commit illegal acts, or to transmit offensive information, or information that affects collective security, general welfare, public morality, and respect for public order. We have already seen that the Internet did too much damage with the protests, and they are precisely trying to mitigate those damages and to let those who speak out or those who use the Internet know that there will be reprisals for that reason. Human rights organizations such as Human Rights Watch have expressed their concern. Others are analyzing the consequences. This puts a lot of doubt in the plans that had been talked about as to how the United States could facilitate the use of the Internet inside Cuba. 
The Cuban government says that the decree law and its complementary norms ratify among its objectives to contribute to the political, economic, and social development of the country through the development and modernization of the telecommunications infrastructures. It remains to be seen how this new law will be implemented, yet some are already describing it as another form of censorship, especially in the context of the activists on the island who have been using social media to call for a national strike. Reported by Lourdes del Rio, this is Gianni Ponte for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.